Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the October 20th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you by my special sponsor, and that is the Security Federal Bank. One of the best ways to support Local Matters is to support Security Federal. They have 17 locations between Columbia County, Georgia, and Columbia, South Carolina. And whether you own your own business, you have a nonprofit organization, you're a church, or just a family in need of assistance, please give them an opportunity to serve you. They do home improvement loans, uh, home loans for new purchases, car loans. They have investment products uh, and they provide financial counseling for those who need a little help with getting their credit scores up. So please go see my friends at Security Federal. Also, the show is brought to you by my firm and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. Please go to my website, Janice allenjackson.weebly.com. There you will find every episode that I have done since I started Local Matters last year. In particular, today's show is one, if you missed last week's show, you really need to go catch the first show. Uh, today is part two of my interview with Mr. Doug Freeman. He is the Deputy Executive Director of the Augusta Housing Authority, and he is explaining how the whole business of public housing works. Uh, today, in particular, we're going to hit on the Section 8 program. We're going to talk about the lack of federal funding for maintenance of units and how the Augusta Housing Authority Authority has overcome that hurdle. And uh, we're going to talk about the role of the U.S. Congress in um, making sure that uh, there is funding as well as, you know, just all of the things that have to come together in order for our community or any other, in fact, to ensure that there is a well-maintained supply of affordable housing for people who need that. But before we bring Doug on, uh, we are going to give you a preview of upcoming shows. <clears throat> As I referenced last week, uh, there is an upcoming special election on November 2nd. Uh, in that special, special election in, for Augusta residents, there is a single question, and that is in regard to a bond issue for a new James Brown arena. If you live in the corporate limits of Hepzibah or Blythe, uh, there are also local elections there for your city council. So uh, please make sure you take a look at the ballot. You can go to the website of the Richmond County Board of Elections and you can see the sample ballot for all of those and you can determine if uh, uh, what is going to be on your ballot. And as I indicated, early voting has started, so uh, there's no uh, reason to miss out on this opportunity to make your uh, wishes known. Uh, next week, the guests are uh, Mr. Cedric Johnson and Mr. Brad Ushery. They have been leading the Augusta Coliseum Authority for several years, and they're going to talk about uh, that item on the ballot uh, for Augusta residents to give you uh, some insight into what exactly they will do with $240 million and give you just a better understanding uh, so that when it's time for you to go vote, you can make up your mind based upon the facts. 
that's next week. Uh, following that, November 3rd, I am actually going to have uh, Ms. Juanita Burney. She is chairman of the Board of Tax Assessors. I know everybody has those property tax bills if you're a property owner and um, you want to know how they came up with that amount uh, for you, how your property is assessed, the governance of that organization. Uh, Mrs. Burney is going to go through all of that for us. Uh, following that, we're going to talk to Ms. Patricia Jefferson on November 10th. We're going to talk about the amphitheater project that her husband spearheaded during the time that he was on the Augusta Commission. And following that, November 17th, uh, as we get prepared for Thanksgiving, uh, there is a special author in our community that I want to make you all aware of. Uh, she has written a book, doesn't have anything to do with local government. So again, it's one of the, my unusual takes, uh, opportunities. I'm going to take advantage though of the opportunity to uh, talk about something that's not related to local government, but it is related to our spiritual lives. Uh, she has written a book called When the Church Prays, and it's not P-R-A-Y-S, it's P-R-E-Y-S. So uh, we're going to allow Ms. Shayla Farmer to just come in and, and tell us about that book. I just started reading it. It's fabulous, and I wanted to share it with you. But for now, let's get ready to hear part two on the Augusta Housing Authority with Doug Freeman. One of those innovative ways is the public-private partnerships you made some reference to earlier with the Walton properties. Um, are there other strategies that you all have used to ensure that you can uh, provide a sufficient number of uh, affordable housing opportunities for our residents? Uh, so the big thing is, is for us is how we manage and maintain our current properties. And I'm, I'm particularly proud of, of how we do it here in Augusta, because not every agency is like this across the country. Um, what we try to do is to save up those capital funds that we get each year. We have a certain number of years that uh, we're required to have those obligated or expended. So we tried to schedule things out so that we can do large scale renovations with them. An example of that is uh, Olmstead Homes over there by Lake Olmstead. That is the oldest public housing in the state of Georgia. That was uh, the first housing development that Augusta did uh, way back when. But if you were to go look at it now, you wouldn't believe that um, because we have invested heavily. It's probably been I don't know, 15 years now since the last major renovation, but we saved up those, that, those capital funds and we did a complete gut rehab of that property. Now, that particular property lended itself well to the, doing that. It was mostly duplexes and quads rather than that old barrack style housing. So we were able to take the buildings down to the stud and uh, so basically you had a roof and exterior walls and we rebuilt those units completely inside and out. We also did a lot of landscaping and, and uh, a lot of curb appeal. That is one of our highest occupied and most often requested developments. And it's the oldest public housing in the state of Georgia because of the way we, we were able to, to schedule up and save the, the funds in order to do those renovations. So the drawback to that is sometimes we don't get to every single site every year to do renovations. But I think the way we do it to be able to go in there instead of putting band-aids on things, little bit here, a little bit there, 
be going there and completely reconstruct from scratch almost uh, in order to, to maintain those units going forward. Uh, there's also another type of development. I don't know where this fits into the strategy. So that's why I'm asking the question. Um, I am a native of current resident of East Augusta, which is of course everything from East boundary back to the state line, essentially. And there are, I think probably four complexes in that area, at least four, maybe five. Now I'm going to think about it that are subsidized housing in some respect. Mm -hmm. um, there was one that was developed by uh, one of our community housing development organizations. I believe it's affiliated with Good Hope Baptist Church. I think that's more senior housing. There's what was Delta Manor is now considered Oak Point. There is the river, what was River Glen Apartments. I can't remember if it still has that name or if they changed the name with this most recent upgrade. It's now Magnolia Court. Magnolia Court. And then there is, um, gosh, used to be, oh gosh, it's been named several things, maybe East Augusta Commons or something like that. Okay. Um, and then there is the formal Underwood um, that is now Walton Oaks. So I know the Housing Authority is directly involved with two of those being Oak Point and Walton Oaks. Does the Housing Authority have any connection to the other three? All right, yeah, so just real quick, Oak Point is one of our public housing developments. So that we own and maintain and manage that property uh, just like our other public housing developments. So that's just your, your traditional standard public housing. Um, I'll talk about Walton Oaks first, and then we'll come back to Magnolia Court. Walton Oaks, when we redid that, we used a program called Low-Income Housing Tax Credits to redevelop that property. And at a very basic level, the idea is that the federal government and the state government, the state of Georgia, both will use tax credits to incentivize certain behaviors. And so they recognize that there's a need for public housing, or let me rephrase that, a need for assisted housing, uh, but they don't want to come up with the cash to pay for it themselves. So what they did is they issue these tax credits. And in, in Georgia, we have to go through the Department of Community Affairs. We apply for them, and it's very, very competitive. Um, and if you win that, and we did for, for uh, Underwood, you can then sell those tax credits to raise funds. So us as a public housing authority, we don't have a tax burden. So the tax credits don't do us any good specifically, but there are a lot of corporations out there that do have a tax burden and would like to reduce it. So just as an example, if we're given a $1 tax credit, we can sell that for 75, 80, 90 cents. And we raise that money and that reduces the tax burden of that company that bought it. So they get a discount on their taxes, but provide us funding in order to do development work. And so that's how we redeveloped Walton Oaks or the old Underwood uh, home site is by using those tax credits to offset and raise funding for the development. And the idea is that the housing authority doesn't have to take out large loans. We don't have to try to come up with funding on our own we can use that tax credit program to do that. 
Now, there's lots of rules on that on how you can do it and how long it has to be uh, assisted housing and that sort of thing. And, and uh, it can get complicated, but uh, if you can receive enough tax credit funding on there, it makes a huge difference in the, the, your ability to develop new housing. And that, that same process is what we've done at Walton Green also on 15th Street uh, is using those low-income housing tax credits. Um, going back to the old River Glen or what's now I believe Magnolia Court. So that one was an interesting one because it, while it predated my time here in Augusta, that the program that it was originally uh, became assisted housing was uh, called Moderate Rehab or Mod Rehab for short. And this goes way back even before the, the Housing Choice Voucher Program, uh, back when HUD issued certificates instead of vouchers, um, different rules on it. But those certificates were attached to the units when the owner of uh, River Glen years and years ago bought that property, HUD gave them funding to do renovations. And part of the, the requirements were that they attach these certificates to the units. So if a family qualified and moved in, they would receive the benefit of that certificate in reduced rent. Uh, but if they moved out, unlike the Housing Choice Voucher Program, their certificate stayed with the unit. So if they moved out, they lost that subsidy. Um, and uh, for years, it was known as River Glen. It went through a couple of different owners as River Glen, but it stayed that same, those are called now called project-based voucher units, where that, that voucher is tied to the unit rather than to the person. Uh, and then a few years ago, a company came in and purchased River Glen, and they converted the, that whole program off of the moderate rehab program to what's called RAD, a rental assistance demonstration. And that moved it from a section eight voucher program over to the HUD multifamily program. And by doing that, they were able to take out a mortgage on that property and raise funds by issuing a bond uh, to do a complete renovation of that property. So that program, that RAD program through the multifamily completely disassociated the vouchers from the, from the housing authority here. So they worked directly with HUD uh, in the, on the multifamily side to receive the subsidies to the rents. Uh, but they also report directly to HUD uh, for compliance issues and that sort of thing. Okay. Now, did the Housing Authority provide some funding, though, for the most recent renovation? So we issued a bond that the uh, owners used to raise funding for that. So we didn't provide any money out of our pocket. But the Augusta Housing Authority is one of the agencies that's allowed to issue uh, public bonds. Uh, as long as they meet the purpose of what we do, which is providing housing. So by using that bond, the owner took on the, uh, the liability of paying back the bond. So basically it's an, another way for the owner to raise money. Uh, a, more, a lot of times a more advantageous as far as interest rates and that sort of thing. So you all facilitated the process of getting the funding to do the, the renovations. That's right. But we, we didn't provide any money ourselves and we don't have any role in the management or maintenance of that property. Okay. All right. And now do the residents still have Section 8 vouchers or? They no longer have Section 8 vouchers. So okay. they are now under the RAD program, which is a different type of 
uh, I believe the, the terminology is used project-based rental assistance, uh, but that comes from multifamily. But again, it's tied to the, to the development, not to the tenant. So if a, if a tenant moves in and qualifies, they receive that subsidy towards their rent. But if they move out, they no longer receive any assistance. Okay. But they still have to meet certain income criteria to Absolutely. be in that, that facility. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. All right. We're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about another type of housing subsidies. We make reference to the Section 8 program and how uh, right now there are over 4,200 vouchers in our community, 3,800 of which are being used. Um, we saw this move, as you indicated, less funding from Congress to build and maintain public traditional public housing units, uh, more creative approaches with public-private partnerships and um, different types of programs like you just described with River, River Glen. Um, Section 8 is one of those that uh, everybody thinks they know a little bit about. Can you describe a little bit about how that works, just really what the program is and the, the, um, uh, the rent payments and those sorts of how just how does all that work absolutely so um at its bare minimum if you were to break it all the way down to what the section 8 program is um it's the ability for hud to provide assistance for a tenant through the local housing authority us for that tenant to rent on the private market so a private landlord, whether it's a house, an apartment complex, a duplex, whatever, whatever that uh, housing unit is that they are renting, if a, <coughs> excuse me, if a uh, Section 8 recipient has that voucher, then that voucher is a promise for the housing authority to pay a portion of their rent, and that portion is based off their income. So roughly, and there's some exceptions to this, but roughly... 30% of the adjusted monthly income is the tenant's portion of the rent. And then the voucher pays the difference between what the tenant can pay and what the, the rent is on that apartment. And so if a, a private landlord wants to participate on that program, effectively what that gives them is a guaranteed payment from the housing authority for that portion of the rent every month, as long as they meet their obligations under the program. And for the tenant, as long as they meet their obligations under the program, it means that they only have to pay 30% of their uh, adjusted monthly income towards their rental, uh, and we pay the rest. So um, it's a popular program. Most people like that over public housing if they are a little more self-sufficient uh, because you can pick and choose where you want to live based on availability of the uh, the housing. So if you want to live in East Augusta, you can go find an apartment that accepts those vouchers in East Augusta. If you want to live in South Augusta, same thing. If you want to live uh, any, anywhere within the county lines, that's our jurisdiction, then we can assist with that on the Section 8 program. The other thing about the Section 8 program is it has what's called portability. And so if you receive a voucher from us and live in Richmond County and one of our uh, using one of our vouchers for 12 months, at that point, you can decide to take that voucher and move anywhere in the country. And so let's say you want to move to Atlanta, you can take that voucher and do what's called portability and go speak with the Atlanta Housing Authority 
and they'll assist and, and work on accepting that voucher. And Atlanta can either choose to absorb that voucher and they'll, they'll basically they give that if they do that, they give our voucher back and they issue one of their own vouchers. Uh, or they can bill. Let's say they don't have any vouchers available. They can just send us a bill for that voucher and effectively we're paying that half amount on behalf of that tenant through the Atlanta Housing Authority. Uh, and so that's a that's a very popular thing with the Section 8 program. And one of the reasons why some people prefer the Section 8 program over the public housing program. Uh, the public housing does not offer any sort of portability like that. Um, the, the potential drawback to the Section 8 program, though, is you have to be a little more able to, to be self-sufficient. So you're renting an apartment or a house or something, and you may be responsible for, for example, if you're living in a single family home, you may be responsible for cutting the grass. Whereas if you're living in a public housing unit, we take care of lawn maintenance. Um, if you're living in a, in a section eight unit, you may be responsible for changing your own light bulbs or, or that sort of thing. Where in public housing, we take care of that for you. So there's a little bit more of a safety net with the public housing side, but you lose that, that ability to, to move somewhere else if you're, for whatever reason, uh, let's say you want to be closer to family on the other side of the country, then potentially you can take that voucher and, and port over to that side of the country and still receive assistance. Okay. And the Section 8 uh, program seems like I always hear, I saw a story on TV uh, last week, week before, about the difficulty in finding a Section 8 unit. Um, do you know what's going on there? Absolutely. So there, and it's not just Section 8, but Section 8 is hit, being hit particularly hard right now. Um, it is getting harder and harder to find affordable housing in our area. Um, it seems like the rent amounts are raising three to four percent every single year, um, but incomes aren't rising to match that. So uh, it may take 10 years for somebody's income to go up four percent. Uh, but if their rent goes up 4%, they have to start paying that now. Uh, so as those rental amounts increase, it becomes harder and harder for somebody to find housing that they can afford. In addition, on the Section 8 program, there are some upper limits that HUD sets on us to say what we are allowed to authorize a Section 8 recipient to, um, to rent based on those incomes. Oh, I'm sorry, based on the rental amounts. And so if, they, if there's a low supply of housing and the demand is still high, that means the cost goes up. And if the cost goes up too much, then they can no longer use that Section 8 voucher for that particular unit. So they have to start looking uh, to try to find a lower cost unit. And that's the situation that we're in right now. We have a lot of people that are moving to the area that are coming for some high paying jobs with uh, the cyber center and the uh, with the Fort Gordon and the expansions they're doing on that side and with NSA and Plant Vogel and all those things that are driving up these uh, people to come in with higher incomes. And if a landlord can rent to us, or I say to us, to a Section 8 recipient for $1,200, or they can rent to somebody moving from Virginia for $1,800, and the person coming from Virginia who is used to a high cost of living thinks that that's a great deal, then the landlord is going to drop the Section 8 program and go back to, to renting only on the private market to do that. And that's where we're at right now is there's not enough 
affordable housing in the area to meet the demand, both on the Section 8 program and the other affordable housing programs that are out there. Okay. So that is to say, I'm going to try to break this down. You tell me if I got this right. There may be a unit that somebody had, uh, a landlord had rented out on the Section 8 program. I think, you know, earlier uh, as we were getting prepared, we talked about the amounts, let's say a three bedroom for approximately $1,100. That's, that's the range right now for Section 8. They may be getting $1,100 and then they say, hey, I can make a few cosmetic improvements here and get $1,400. They may just decide to take that house off of the Section 8 program. That's it's a very real possibility. And we've seen that happen in some cases. Yes. Okay. And then, all, right, well, and then all of the new construction that you see, I mean, there have been a lot of new apartments going up in the area. Um, in Richmond County, Columbia County, uh, Burke County, those, the new units that are being built are not being built as affordable housing. They're being built as luxury housing. And so when you're seeing brand new units come online for $1,800, $1,900, $2,000 a month, that's not something that, that our clientele can afford. And that's not something that we're authorized to, to pay that much for in this area. And the Section 8 price is set based upon a median in the area. Is that right? That's right. So HUD sets a what's called a fair market rent for our area, for the Central Savannah River area. Specifically for us, it's Richmond County. Um, but they set that amount. And then we can set our voucher amounts based on that. We're allowed to go a little higher, a little lower. But those voucher amounts include utilities as well. So... Um, so we're completely beholden to HUD to set those rates. It's not something that we can just arbitrarily decide, okay, we're going to start paying $1,400 or $1,800 a month. We're required to follow the regulations of HUD. And if we don't, then HUD takes that money back from us and we can't help anybody. Thank you so much for those explanations. I hope this has given our listeners a better idea of how public housing works, where we've been and sort of where we're headed uh, with that. Uh, and before we close, if you could just share with us, are there just things that you wish people knew about public housing and housing authorities that you want to share with us as we close out? Absolutely. So the number one thing is a, a misconception of who receives housing assistance. And uh, somebody said this the other day, and I thought it was a very apt comment that uh, I was sitting in a large room. There were probably 200 people in that room. And the speaker said that if you look to your left and look to your right, these are the people that are receiving assistance. Um, there's a certain stigma attached to receiving public assistance, but it's, it's the families that are in your community. I mean, there's no way for you generally to know what unit is a Section 8 unit or not a Section 8 unit. Um, we have good tenants in public housing. We have bad tenants in public housing. We have good tenants in Section 8. We have bad tenants in Section 8. Uh, but the reality is, is that in my personal belief, everybody deserves a place to live. They deserve a roof over their head. And uh, this is one of the ways that we as a society can assist in providing those roofs so that somebody has a warm place to sleep at night, that somebody has a place that they can cook their kids breakfast or, or dinner uh, and have that in there. So. When you hear somebody talking about public housing or Section 8, just keep in mind, it's the people in our community, the people that live and work around us uh, that we're assisting in those programs. Uh, 
Uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, like other governmental services, I think what you're telling us is that public housing is here to help and there are lots of people who need help. Absolutely, absolutely. Lots of people Thank you so much for all of the work that the Housing Authority does to ensure that those who need help do indeed find housing in the area. Um, I guess our hope and our prayer should be that our uh, federal uh, legislators, our Congress, uh, decides to devote more funding to help you um, with construction, with renovations, and with administering programs, because there's a cost associated with you all doing all of this work. So uh, one of the takeaways, if there is one for me, is that we need to stay on top of the folks at the federal level that make these decisions uh, to make sure that there is adequate housing for adequate and well-maintained housing for people who need it in our communities. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Doug. Thank you. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.